from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness, an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who put their trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots, roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they will never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. The Lord of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Emily. The New Testament reading is found in James 2, 18 through 26. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Mike, Michael Tarantula. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. On the judgment day, Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, with a text like that, I I sense that the fear of God is sufficiently in you, (laughs) and so marvelously read as well by all of our readers. It can be difficult sometimes in a world where there are so many Christian voices and so many Christian leaders and perhaps 
from radio to television to books to blogs to websites to email forwards to morning devotional emails to all the things that you get and see on Facebook, YouTube clips, podcasts, iTunes, you, you get the picture. It can be difficult to sort through all of it sometimes. And maybe it feels even a little bit overwhelming and you just want to know who's right. And on some of these things, maybe it's not, um, there are things that we we would call non-essentials. And so part of the reason we said the creed this morning is to remind us the things that we hold with a closed hand. And then there are other things where we have a more charitable approach where we say, well, okay, I, I understand that some people sort of hold this view, I hold this view, and we can be kind and gracious to one another. But then there is kind of this more critical question, not critical as in a critical spirit, but a more important question where we say, well, not just who's right, but sometimes is it hard to know who the real followers of Jesus are? And I was talking to a young person a couple of weeks ago. She was telling me, she said, there's a lot of uh, Christian young people who in the name of grace or in the name of uh, God being not an uptight sort of God, uh, these young people are, are, are sort of... Um, comfortable with maybe doing, you know, on on a Saturday night or Friday night doing vodka shots into the middle of the night. Or smoking pot as sort of this recreational thing because after all in Colorado it's legal now. And so in the name of saying, well, I, I follow Jesus, but Jesus isn't like that. Jesus isn't all fussy like that. He's cool with this. And so all of a sudden we are, we find ourselves hearing different stories or maybe seeing different pictures and we want to say, will the real Christian please stand up? Who is this? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Uh, Can we have license to sort of live as we please? Are things uh, uh, fuzzier? Uh, How do we navigate this? How do we negotiate this? As we've discovered along the way here, so many of the things, so many of the challenges we face in our world today are not that different from the challenges faced by the people of God in Jesus' day. It just takes a bit of work to slip ourselves into their setting. For the Jews in Jesus' day, they were waiting for God to come at last. They were waiting for God to bring his kingdom at last. And those of you that were with Dr. Stephen Todd this morning in Sunday school, I trust you heard a bit about that. And so they were waiting for, for when, when this moment was going to happen, when God said to the prophets, look, I'm going to come, I'm going to reign, I'm going to bring justice for the oppressed, I'm going to bring justice to the oppressor. And they're saying, yes, God, when will you do this at last? And there were kind of two schools of thought. One that, that said, look, God's going to do it, but it's going to be later. And there was another school of thought that said, no, God's going to do it, but he's just waiting for us to be faithful enough. And this is why the Pharisees sort of arose, because the Pharisees were of the group that believed that God was absolutely going to fulfill his promise to Israel. He was just waiting for a remnant to be faithful enough. And so I know in church, we kind of, Pharisee is sort of synonymous for like, I don't know, it's like a four-letter word in church, you know, Pharisee. Because we think of it as this is a bad person. But the Pharisees were the people who were saying, no, look, we are earnest in our love for God and we want to show something powerful. We want to show something extraordinary here so that God will see that we're faithful and that we're obedient and the kingdom would come at last. And so there was this question going around in Jesus' day, who is the true Israel? 
And would God save all of Israel, or would God just save the true Israel? And who is the true Israel? Will the true Israelite please stand up? Here we are in the middle of a sermon series here on the kingdom of God, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 7. And as you're going there, we've already said this, that the one theme of the Sermon on the Mount, if we were to say it in a word, is the kingdom. Jesus is preaching about God's rule, God's reign arriving on earth. But it's an unexpected kind of rule. It's a surprising kind of kingdom. It's a kind of kingdom where the poor get to inherit it, not the rich and the strong. It's a kingdom that doesn't strike the enemy, but lets the enemy strike the other cheek. It's a surprising, peaceable kingdom. And now towards the tail end of the sermon, Jesus is done introducing more content. He's got no more content to introduce. Instead, what he's doing is he's got three closings. Three closings that kind of move in crescendo. And so here we are in verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Circle fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. Good tree, good fruit. You could underline those phrases. And every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Jesus, in a way, is saying, look, who you are eventually shows up in what you do. Who you are eventually shows up in what you do. It reminds me of that, uh, the scene in Jurassic Park where Jeff Goldblum's character says, life. We'll find a way. It somehow does. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time, right? Eventually, who you are shows up in what you do. Eventually, it comes out. Eventually, the church face cracks, and our Christian exterior cracks, usually in the heat of the moment, stressful situations. Eventually, something comes through. And Jesus is saying here that true faith produces good fruit. True faith produces good fruit. Say, all right, what is this good fruit? Move on to the next section of the text, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name and I'll tell them I've never known you get away from me people who do wrong this is a sobering text isn't it what is this good fruit good fruit is obedience to the father we can look at this and say okay it's pretty plain here Jesus just said you'll know them by their fruit good trees produce good fruit and then he says Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. So the good fruit that true faith is supposed to produce is it's supposed to produce obedience to the Father. Now I've often thought it's really interesting that Jesus names these people who who are doing spectacular things, miraculous things, miracles in your name, God, we're prophesying signs and wonders. We're, We're doing all these things that are signs of the kingdom, are they not? 
In fact, one, one of the best ways to read the miracles of Jesus, to understand the miracles of Jesus, is their signs of the kingdom. Jesus is fulfilling things that Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah. So when Jesus heals, he's not just doing a party trick. He's not putting on a show. He's announcing the kingdom. He's saying, look, as I heal, I'm telling you, God's rule is arriving. Now here are people doing the very signs of the kingdom. Shouldn't that, wouldn't that be proof that they are part of the kingdom? And Jesus is saying, you want to know the real proof that you belong to this kingdom? It's not in the spectacular, but it's in the obedience. It's not in the dramatic. It's really in the steady, consistent obedience. It's a good thing in your mind to distinguish maybe the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So you can find different passages in the New Testament where Paul says, look, these are the gifts of the Spirit. These are signs that the Spirit is at work here. You'll see prophecy. You'll see stuff, you know. But that's different than saying, and here's the evidence that the Spirit is at work in a person's life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? We can list them all. How many of you have been around or been in services where you see extraordinary gifts of the Spirit displayed, and then you had a moment, a chance to meet the person who was displaying or was the instrument of those gifts. And maybe you caught them at a bad time, but it was hard to see any fruit. Maybe it was not enough, maybe not large enough of a sample size. I remember as a kid growing up in Malaysia, our church sort of suffered from this belief that if you were and I don't mean to be offensive by this, but Malaysia was a British colony, and so we, we sort of, it, it kind of lingered in the church in Malaysia that there was a bit of a, a inferiority complex to the white person. And so any speaker that would come in with fair skin from Australia or the UK or America must be more godly and must know more than any of our local pastors did. Now, nobody said that, but I'll tell you one of the ways we all came to believe that is because the pastor of the megachurch that we grew up in never preached. That there was a guest speaker every week, and the guest speaker every week invariably was a white evangelist from Australia or New Zealand or the UK or the US. And so this impacted me as a child, because I would see these guys come in and do their show, do their shtick, and say, come back tonight for a healing rally, and then push people over and all of this stuff. And nobody knew anything about their families. Nobody knew if they had children. Nobody knew how their marriages were. Nobody knew where their wives were. Anybody know this scene? And it occurred to me as I was growing up that the gifts of the Spirit are not what validate the followers of Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit are not what validate the followers of Jesus. So, well, wait a minute, Glenn, doesn't Jesus say, you know, signs and wonders will follow those who believe? Sure, sure. But the real test, the real mark of a disciple is not that the Spirit is doing supernatural things through you. The real mark of the Spirit is that he's producing fruit in your life. Remember that story in the Old Testament where Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it? Remember that story? Now, you say, well, what's the big deal striking the rock, speaking to the rock? Tomato, tomato, right? Except that God thought it was serious enough that Moses didn't get to enter the promised land because of that. You're like, dang, Moses was disobedient. God punished him for his disobedience. But answer me this, did water come from the rock? Yes. 
Well, if Moses was so disobedient and disobedient enough that God would punish him for it, why did water still, why did the supernatural still occur? Why? Because there was a thirsty nation in the wilderness. Is it possible that the Spirit of God will use people to bring healing and bring restoration and, 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 and touch people's lives? Well, the Spirit of God will use them for the sake of the people, but that that in itself is not a validation of that individual's obedience. Do you follow what I'm saying? That the supernatural is not a validation of your discipleship or of your obedience. Because the Spirit of God will do what the Spirit of God does for the sake of the people. It's not enough to say, well, hey, I've got all these miracles following me. Jesus says, what about the fruit of obedience? Is that in your life? Is that there? The other thing this text makes us think about, though, is these fears of heaven and hell. And so when we hear, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who... I could have an altar call right now and it would be flooded. We'd be like, okay, I need to get saved again. I don't know. I mean, I've just said, Lord, maybe I need three Lords. Lord, Lord, Lord. Or like. <laughs> and then maybe you've, you've heard sermons that say, well, depart from me. I never knew you. And what Jesus is saying is I didn't have an intimate relationship with you. So if you just have a casual knowledge of Jesus, ah, sorry, you may not get into the pearly gates. Is that then intimacy becomes the new legalism. How close is close enough? How many goosebump worship moments do I need to have to know that, no, no, I really know him. I do like IHOP prayer online for three hours. I totally know him. Some of you get it. Others of you are like, what's IHOP prayer? <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's nothing to do with pancakes though. <laughs> is that what this is inviting is a new kind of legalism about Spiritual experiences? No. Now remember, in the Jewish frame of mind, the kingdom of heaven is not a faraway place, but a separate space. When Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about that place where we're going to fly away into, apologies to the old hymn writer. Matthew's talking about the rule of the God of heaven coming here. And so when Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, look, Look, if you want to participate in my rule, it takes more than your words. It takes obedience. That's how you show that you are actually citizens of this kingdom. Now, this text is about judgment day, though, isn't it? Because Jesus says, look, on the day of judgment. So there is something about judgment day here. I love this phrase. One of the commentaries I was reading this week said, their failure to do the will of the Father shows that they have never, that they have never in fact, participated with the kingdom of God. In other words, if you have been participating with the kingdom while you've been here on earth, it shows up. It eventually shows up. Versus saying, well, no, I just kind of went along. I just sort of said the stuff. So... To finish our loop here, how do we know true faith? True faith produces good fruit. Good fruit is obedience to the Father. So to complete the loop, we would say obedience is the fruit of true faith. say, well, Glenn, (laughs) I'm not sure that's good news. Because how is that kind of obedience possible? How can we actually live? Have you been listening to this arriving series? Have you been paying attention 
where Jesus says, don't let hate fester in your heart and forgive easily and turn the other cheek and blessed are the peacemakers and don't even look lustfully and glad, I can't do this. But if that kind of obedience is the evidence of true faith, then ah, here's the key. It's this word, fruit. True faith produces good fruit. The good fruit is obedience. The good fruit comes from the right root. Good fruit comes from this root of faith. How do we have this? How is such obedience possible because of faith in Christ? So, but now you're talking in circles. I know. It kind of is like that, isn't it? How do we know there's true faith? Because it shows up in, in obedience. How do we get this kind of obedience? Because we have this faith in Christ. See, I think when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, I think it's a way of affirming here that there's something deeply personal about our faith. That you can't sort of, by osmosis, catch faith. As faith is this active, personal participation. It's more than agreeing to a checklist of ideas. It's more than mental assent. It's really the idea of putting your whole self in Christ. It's saying to Jesus, Jesus, your way. I buy into your way. I'm setting aside the American way. I'm setting aside my way. I'm setting aside the selfish way. I'm setting aside the, um, all the other grids and paradigms that tell me to get mine and take care of myself and seek first my own. I'm setting aside all that and I'm saying faith in Christ means I'm in all the way. It doesn't mean you don't fall short though, does it? Because in this same Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. It's not a life of moral perfection, it's a life of total surrendered trust and faith in Christ. And then he begins to do his work. The gospel metaphor for this One of its favorite metaphors for this is John 15, abiding in the vine. Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. How? How do we have this fruit of obedience? How can we really live this? How is this really possible? I, I, I just can't do it. So I just need to try harder. If you remain in Christ, you will produce much fruit. Without me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. You can find on the Smithsonian Magazine blogs online a story of a man named Charles Blondin who in the mid-1800s was famous for walking a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I know you're thinking of Nick, whatever his name is, Wallen something, Wallander. But there was this guy before there was Nick. And this guy walked across it on a tightrope and then got a little cocky with it. So he arrived on the American side and then he decides to walk back to the Canadian side and he stops halfway through, lays down and, and then turns around and walks backwards. Then he starts to get so confident he puts a cloak over his eyes so he can do it blindfolded. This guy's nuts. He also stopped for a little drink which might have c- contributed to his foolhardiness and then he gets back and then he comes across again to the American side with a wheelbarrow and there's this legend that he says to the crowd do you believe I can push 
a man in a wheelbarrow across the tightrope, and the crowd is in a frenzy, and they're like, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then he says, who wants to get in and be my volunteer? <laughs> I don't know, if that, that part might be legend. But what he does do is his manager hops on his back, and he carries his manager all the way across this tightrope. I mean, that is nuts. I don't know, you know what this manager is thinking, but in, in this article I was reading on the Smithsonian blog, Blondin says to his manager, Harry Calcord, he says, look up, Harry, you are no longer Calcord, you are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. That strikes me as a very gospel-like image. Followers of Jesus, do not attempt this Sermon on the Mount life on your own. You are certain to fail. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But followers of Jesus Christ understand that you have renounced your identity. You are no longer Glenn. You are with Christ. You are no longer John. You're no longer Sally. You're no longer Larry. You're no longer your own. You are hidden with Christ in God. When he sways, you sway. When he moves, you move. When he goes to the weak and the lowly and the hurting, you go to the weak and the lowly and the hurting. When he turns the other cheek, you turn the other cheek. When he says nonviolence is our way, you say nonviolence is my way too. When he says forgiveness is the way of the kingdom, you say forgiveness is the way of the kingdom. When he says ask, you ask. When he says seek, you seek. When he says knock, you knock. When he says, get low, you get low. When he says, humble yourself, you humble yourself. When he says, I'm going to a cross, you say, I'm going to the cross. When he says, I'm laying down my life, you say, I'm laying down mine because I'm hidden with Christ in God. This is the picture. Faith, the kind of faith that produces this kind of fruit. So in one way, the question isn't, are you obedient enough? At surface level, that seems like that's the question. In some ways, the question is, are you in Christ? Are you in him? Are you with him? Because this Christian thing, this Jesus life is not part-time. This following Jesus thing isn't an enterprise that you can sort of do on your way. You see this when Jesus says, to the ones, follow me. And he says, oh, look, I've got to go attend to some business stuff. And Jesus says, no. And the other guy says, I've got to go take care of this uh, funeral. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. And you're like, this is so harsh. But the point is this. There is no part-time way to do this. There is no Sunday morning way to do this. There is no compartmentalized way to do this. There is not the way of saying, Jesus, you can have my moral behavior, but you can't have my money. Or Jesus, you can have my thoughts, but you can't have my actual business decisions. Jesus, you can have my Sundays, but you can't have my Monday through Friday. Jesus, you can have my this part, but you can't have the way that I process through loving people. Jesus, you can have 
my life, but you can't have my children or my family. Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have my dreams. There is no way to cut this up. The only way for the fruit to come is to say, stay abiding in Christ. An apple tree will produce apples. That's the beauty of this. You know, there's an apple tree on my in-law's farm in Iowa. It, it, it is not sweating, wondering if it's going to make apples or oranges this season. Keep it watered. Keep it growing. Some of you say, well, Glenn, I, I, I don't know, man. That sounds really easy, but there are a lot of Christians, quote-unquote, who sure don't look like it, sure don't act like it. This is where we say, you know, it's good to evaluate fruit, but to remember that you don't know the final verdict on anybody's story. Remember the judgment sermon? It does, don't judge doesn't mean don't evaluate. Don't judge means don't think that your assessment is the final verdict. Don't think that your assessment is the final verdict. So you might evaluate and say, I don't know if that person has the right kind of fruit, so I'm going to change my friendships or my associations, that's good and fine. But just know that your assessment is not the final verdict on that person's life. That the Spirit of God is still working. It ain't over yet. I love, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this thing of, you know, you see a person's life and they're like, oh my gosh, they're so messed up. How could they be a follower? How could they be a Christian? So yeah, but it, what would they have been like without Jesus? <laughs> could have been a lot worse. Like, yeah, I guess. I mean, think about their parents, think about their story, think about, yeah, okay. Good fruit. The result of staying and remaining in Christ. In many ways, this is an invitation to you to say, trade in the rotten roots, trade in a corrupt and decaying tree. Let it be cut down at the roots and say, Jesus, plant something new in me, would you? (laughs) Plant something surprising and beautiful in me. Some of you are thinking about your family stories and you're thinking, well, my dad was always this way, my grandpa was a drunk and my uncle was a, you know. Like I just don't know how to break free of this. This is my family tree. I wonder today if there's a moment where you can say, hey, 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 Jesus wants to cut down something at the root and put something new at the root. My dad came from a Hindu family. His parents were Hindu. He was given a Hindu name, name, a name that's after one of the Hindu gods. And when he became a Christian, he wanted to change his name from Indra to David. And really, Pachyam, or as they would say, Pachyam, was his middle name. And Hindus don't do last names. They do first name, middle name, and then they say son of, your father's first name. Sort of like the Jewish thing, you know, Joseph, son of, you know. And he went to go get his name changed, and somehow my uncle that was helping him with it picked the wrong kind of paperwork, but it chose the kind of paperwork that basically was almost like, or something like, I don't have all the details of this, but something like a death certificate for Indra Pachyam. 
like this person has died. And all of a sudden there's this new person, David Pacquiam. And Pacquiam became the last name. And I'm the second generation Pacquiam. And our children are the third generation Pacquiam. And there's no other Pacquiams before us because that's not how Hindu families did lineage. And so something changed at the root and a whole family's course changed. You're sitting here today and you think, Glenn, I'm doomed. You don't know my story. I'm doomed. I'm bound to produce bad fruit. And I want to say to you that Jesus says, no, you're not. Jesus says, you don't have to do the charade thing of saying, Lord, Lord, ah, prophecy, miracles, look at me. Jesus is saying, you don't need to keep the mask on. You can let me do a deeper surgery than that. You can let me change the root and in doing so, change the course of a lineage. Let's pray.